Welcome to the third episode of the Edinburgh Tradfest podcast with me, Jane Ann Purdy. And me, Douglas Robertson. Someone got in touch the other day to say that we were like the uh, 21st century Richard and Judy. But I never give you hard stares, do I? Yeah, I think we're more Abbott and Costello. <laughs> Tell us what's in the show today, Douglas. We have um, a Lockdown Life from Ali Lavac from Project Smoke. Then we move into A Day in the Life of the Glasgow-based band Canaris Quintet. Then an interview with Mike Vass from Malinky, who's also the musician in residence at the School of Celtic and Scottish Studies, University of Edinburgh. And uh, then uh, Moisha's Fable, uh, this time the story of how percussionist Guy Nicholson came to the band and uh, came to percussion generally. But before all of that, we've chat to Elizabeth Russo, a glorious singer from Transylvania. Elizabeth Russo is a world-class musician and songwriter. Originally from Brazov in the mountains of Transylvania, she has made Scotland her home since arriving in Aberdeen to study in 2010. She is an inquisitive creator who is always looking for fresh challenges and fresh inspiration, often from nature. Much in demand for her soaring and haunting voice, she often works together with her husband, the acclaimed jazz guitarist and composer Graham Stephen. In common with all our featured artists, Elizabeth was due to play Edinburgh Tradfest in 2020 and this year. Hi Elizabeth, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good, how are you? Yeah, pretty good. So um, we saw you in February when you came to the Traverse to record one of our Soundhouse Spotlight gigs. Um, at that time, you were you'd come down from Huntley to do the the filming and the recording. Um, where are you now? Uh, we're we're back in Edinburgh. Yeah, we're back in town. Back in your house. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> does it feel does it feel good to be back home? Uh, no, I kind of wish I was in the countryside again. <laughs> so it was good to get away from home for a while because I think you know we've all been a bit stuck in our own homes. So it was probably quite nice to go somewhere else, right? Oh, it was really nice, and it does help to just kind of write music and play music. And yeah, I don't know, just to be a bit more free as well and uh, live with less people around you, especially during this time. It's much helpful. So, the residency in Huntley was um, you were working with a whole bunch of other musicians, is that right? Yeah, so what we did is we had this project. So, we were thinking, how do we maintain con- uh, connections? Like, the idea was maintain connections with Europe, with musicians from Europe. Um, with everything else going on in UK. So we kind of thought of making a little ensemble with um, four different musicians from four different countries in Europe. Okay. How did you go about choosing the people that you were going to collaborate with? Well, uh, me and Graham, Graham Stephen, we had this idea. uh, We had, well, we had some people in mind already when we thought about the project. And then we kind of... We kind of also chose someone that we never worked with uh, on Simulon. Uh, and uh, that was quite new. But uh, yeah, we kind of knew who we wanted to work with because it's people we worked with before. Okay, well, can, can you maybe talk us, talk us through um, some of the people? I mean, Una Van Gio, we know because yeah. <laughs> he has played with uh, Graham many times um, mm-hmm. and collaborated on his uh, soundtrack for Metropolis. He was part of Zap 4. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about uh, Una. Yes, yeah, so Una is this amazing uh, viola player from Amsterdam. Um, and But he also played um, cello, he played quintuan and uh, some percussion on the album. 
and he's just great at working with he's really easy to work with and he, he has some great creativity when it comes to music so it's been a pleasure working with him and then we also had Silke from uh, on saxophone from Germany and uh, Najalko, uh, Najalkov from uh, Bulgaria on Kabal and also Marius Mihalake uh, from Romania on Cymbalan. So how, how did it work out with you all being in different countries was that did that make it pretty tricky? Yeah, it's kind of tricky, but uh, I've already done an album in this kind of style last year during lockdown, so I had a bit of practice, and uh, and you know, yeah, it was it wasn't that it wasn't that bad. It's just that you can't really <clears throat> you miss that kind of connection when you sit with everyone in the same room and you talk things over. So it was a, obviously a different, much different kind of process. Okay, and the music itself um, was it all written by yourself? Me and me and Graham. Okay. We were, we kind of wrote and came up with the music, but some of them are like one of them is a traditional body ballad, which it comes from Huntley. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously that we didn't write that one, but uh, I made it into my own kind of style, <laughs> which <laughs> sounds a bit less like a body ballad and more of a <laughs> I don't know spatial <laughs> connection, <laughs> inter interspatial connection, <laughs> and then we also included the peace song. Uh, which it, it's a, a war kind of song written. I don't, I don't remember how long ago, but it was quite a long time ago. So that is our own kind of interpretation of that song. I think the original name of that song is Last Night I Had the Strangest Dream. Oh, okay. That yeah. sounds great. Fab. So the, the other guys, um, you would send them their parts to play? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or they, did they have some kind of backwards and forwards with you about that too what happened was that we would send like um we would send sometimes certain parts and be like okay well this is you know we would like some of this and over here and a bit of this over here but also they got lots of freedom to do and improvise because um yeah some of them are very good like improvisers so we thought it would be a shame not to allow them the freedom to come up with their own kind of uh, creative expression Mm-hmm. So it was a bit of a collaborative process, basically, and a bit of everything. Also yeah. kind of instructions, but also the freedom to come up with their own kind of uh, vibe, to kind of say so. Yeah. I think, did you deliberately kind of mix up kind of traditional and, and more jazz musicians? Um, was that a kind of uh, conscious thing to do that? Or is that just how it kind of happened? Um, they're all very good at playing different styles, uh, yeah. so they're quite versatile. They don't just play one style, and I think uh, that's why you know they could. You can give them anything, and they'll come up with something really good. <laughs> uh, I'm interested in the fella from Romania. Was he someone that you had known for quite some time? No, no, he's actually the newest one. Uh, ah, it, so yeah, he was uh, totally new. I always wanted to work with the cymbaline because it's quite rare and very cool mm. and very hard to play instrument. Yeah. And um, I thought, wow, it would be so, at the beginning, I thought it would be so nice to have, like, yeah, I know I'm from Romania, but because I'm here, I didn't feel like I was actually representative of Romania. No. (laughs) So I wanted someone from Romania who lives in Romania and who plays this amazing traditional instrument. Uh, So, yeah, it's just, he's new and it's been quite an interesting process to work with such an instrument. I think it's great that you you feel at home in Scotland. I'm just wondering why you chose to come and study here when you first came. 
Did you pick a place randomly? Well, I wanted to go out. <laughs> and not quite randomly. I, it was something like I kind of, I've never, prior to me coming here, I, I was never traveling outside the country. So I've always thought, oh, it'd be so nice to, to go out and see how other people live, you know, and what they do and their cultures and traditions and stuff like that. Uh, and initially I thought of Scandinavia, but I was quite late with my uni application. <laughs> so, so the only one I had later deadlines was this uh, university in Scotland. I said, oh, I, I don't really know anything about Scotland, basically. But, you know, it sounds good, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's funny how some things just happened without me thinking too much about, oh, yeah, I want to go over there or over there. So, yeah, just happened, basically. <laughs> And, and uh, how much has uh, your Transylvanian background influenced your work, do you think? Is there a lot of it still there? Of course, you know, I mean, my yeah. fiery temperament and, yeah, <laughs> all of that is very much alive and probably will never die, to be honest. Uh, but, yeah, I think, uh, of course, you know, I mean, my mom played uh, traditional music in the house all the time. And um, I think that's where I got the the kind of love for, for that kind of traditional sounds. And, I, you know, she used to take me to church every Sunday. So I think probably that's why I love reverb so much. <laughs> I mean, that's where it comes from. <laughs> I really love that kind of spatial, kind of um, beautiful, kind of open sounded kind of music. And um, yeah, I think all of, all of those kind of childhood experiences um, have definitely, they definitely have an um, effect on I don't know, how I perceive music or how I want to sing something. I read actually when I was doing the kind of research into you somewhere where it said that in communist Romania, learning a musical instrument was forbidden. Is that true? And that wouldn't have necessarily affected you, but your parents, presumably. I don't. Um, I don't know the deal, the thing about. I thought it was China because uh, I think I remember <laughs> seeing something. <laughs> 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 uh, but I. Uh, I don't. Well, when I was born, first, uh, you know, I was born just just after the communism, so yeah. um, I wouldn't really know much about it, and I I've never really heard of it being forbidden, but. I don't think it was very much encouraged either, if you know what I mean, though. Like, because okay. other things were encouraged, like working in a factory, like, you know, being like a, a worker bee and, you know, not having much of anything else and much freedom. So I suppose, yeah, it's other things that maybe were a bit, <laughs> yeah. You would kind of maybe expect that religious music would be discouraged or something under a communist regime or maybe even kind of traditional music that didn't sort of echo the party line or whatever. I don't know. Maybe there, maybe there's more subtlety to it than that. Right. A lot of the culture was uh, destroyed during communism, for sure. I mean, you can totally see it, how they would uproot uh, this amazing, uh, you know, peasant folk and they will take him and put him in these massive uh, block buildings. And, you know, they were not really, you know, they couldn't keep up with all their traditions and what everything that they were used to for centuries, you know, because that their ancestors taught them and stuff like that. It, the whole idea was just, you were just, you know, you are meant to be this working person in this big system kind of thing, rather than, you know, keep up with what's true and good. <laughs> yeah, it's very often a weapon of the oppressor to suppress the kind of native mm -hmm. things, you know. And after Culloden, the bagpipes were banned in Scotland. I mean, mm. the Taliban actually killed musicians, you know, and tried to control the culture in you know, yeah, a very yeah. brutal sort of way, you know. So it's, it's not unusual. It's not unusual at all. Mm -hmm. Are there any, and, and I, I kind of get the feeling that you grew up in a kind of rural setting. Am I right about that? Yes, I grew up in the city. 
Um, which is this really nice kind of medieval city with Mm. very old buildings and old churches and stuff like that. But every summer, because my, both of my parents, they come originally from the countryside and they also moved when they were very young to work on these factories. So basically you can see how, (laughs) what I was talking about, you know, things not being allowed to be, or, you know, they couldn't be kept anymore. So all these young people moved to the city. So my parents were part of that generation, but their parents were still actually in in the countryside. So every summer, every three months in the summer, I would go to my grandparents and live totally in the countryside with almost no modern appliances, no nothing. It was great. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And what kind of points of contact do you find between Transylvania and Scotland? Are there things that are in, we have in common? I don't know. It's kind of that, it's, I don't know, that kind of warmth, I suppose, that uh, you get... I don't know, kind of hospitality. It's a bit maybe similar. Mm-hmm. I think it might have seen a bit of it at your wedding when a whole bunch of your family were there. <laughs> and there was kind of within one room, there was all the Scottish nutters jumping about dancing. And then there was your family who, if anything, were out doing them. <laughs> Are you calling your family nutters, Douglas? Yeah, in a good, in a good way. <laughs> no, they look like party animals. And I think that's a bit of a Scotland and Ireland thing as well, you know. People like to let their hair down and let it rip. Yeah, so I think it's a bit... Well, actually, it's quite similar. If you go to some parts of Romania, I think, you know, they do like drinking quite a lot and partying and dancing all night and stuff like that, yeah. So probably <laughs> that's quite common, you know. <laughs> What's uh, What would be the Transylvanian equivalent of whiskey? So we call it palinka or rakiu, and it's like a very kind of strong, clear moonshine. It's usually made from prunes or plums. So it's a bit like, well, some people call it brandy, but I think, well, you know, I don't know, something similar. Let's put it like that. But it's much more nicer, in my opinion. Made My dad makes him from fresh and he puts in this massive barrel and lets him ferment for a bit. And then he made his own still when he was working in this big factory doing communism. <laughs> he made wow. his own still in that factory. And um, yeah, he still has it and it works great. And he, that's how he used to distill his own alcohol and stuff like that. Yeah, it's good. yeah dangerous thing. Dangerous thing to make you blind. It's not really dangerous because this kind of, I think if you don't know what you're doing, yes, of course, sure. anything is dangerous when you don't know what you're doing. Does it, the, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I was just going to say, does it double up as paint stripper? <laughs> no, 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 it's not that kind of step. My, you know, it's a different kind of process. All <laughs> <No. day. laughs> I'm sure it's more subtle than that, Douglas. Um, yeah, so coming back to the, the European collaboration, um, can you tell us a little bit about the the recording that you've made and when that will be out? I think it's coming out quite soon, actually. we are, This this podcast will be going out in May. We're recording it a little bit early. Mm-hmm. Um, but let us know a little bit more about that and where people can pick it up. Yeah, so um, we have an album launch, which is going to be online uh, on the 15th of April, which is obviously after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll be uh, going out after that, yeah. Yes, but um, it will be. We don't. It will be mostly available online because we don't really have any plans right now to make it in into physical form. Uh, so probably it will be on Bandcamp. It will be so the the art residency that we were doing. It was with different projects, and um, so if people go on different projects, Huntley. Um, they'll find it, it's the first option that comes when they Google it, and you can find all the information about the by the project and where they can listen to and all of that kind of info. 
And what's your website, if you'd like to say what that is? It's uh, elizabethrousseau.com. Okay. Fantastic. And um, I think we're going to hear a little bit of music from the project. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell me what a little bit about the track? Maybe you could uh, introduce it. Yeah, so the name of the track is uh, Same Sky. Um, I'm never going to introduce the track, so <laughs> I'll let the music do its kind of yeah <laughs> this thing so same same sky yeah mm -hmm. okay and does it feature all the musicians um let me think i think it does actually this one great and is there we plan to try and bring everyone together in person in the future of course we thought about this kind of stuff and we we thought it would be so great to go on tour with all these people um although it would be very difficult and probably very expensive right and especially but we don't we just don't know what's going to happen right because i mean um yeah right now nothing can be planned so we don't know yeah okay well we're really looking forward to hearing it thank you so much for joining us today that was thank great you for having me thanks very much okay we'll see you soon hopefully in the flesh and the flesh is. Bye-bye. See you, Elizabeth. Bye. Flesh and bone The kiss of life Counts a soul Whatever colour you may be It doesn't matter It's all a trick But still somehow I can't help feeling
to Elizabeth Rousseau for that wonderful track by Ensemble Yorpa. It's called Same Sky and you can get the whole album which is called Above at uh, Elizabeth's Bandcamp page. So now we're going to hear from Ali Lavac who's been spending a lot of time on his own in a log cabin in Maryborough. Well hello there. How are you doing? I hope you're well. Take a seat me love. Um, my name is Ali Lavac and I play Pipes and Whistles in a band called Project Smock. And that's actually who you can hear playing in the background just now. And this is about my 20th or 30th take of trying to get this right. So hopefully, hopefully we don't mess this one up. Hopefully it goes very smoothly. I hope. Um, but I'd just like to say a big thanks to Edinburgh Tradfest for giving me a reason to be speaking to myself. It's a habit I've developed since the start of lockdown anyway, so um, yeah, here we go. Um, and I'm actually speaking to you from Maryborough just now, which is a wee village along the road from Dingwall, which is just north of Inverness. Um, I normally lived in Glasgow, and I have done for the past 10 years, but since the start of lockdown and Covid and everything that happened, I moved back up the road to the Highlands of Scotland, um, which has actually been, it's been lovely really, it's been magnificent. Um, of course, apart from the lack of gigs, um, yes, but I have been very fortunate, there's like a back, uh, sorry, there's like a log cabin here in the back garden which I converted into a recording studio and a workspace uh, and it's been invaluable really. I don't know what I would have done without this space. Uh, also, at the start of lockdown, Pablo uh, Lafuente, bandmate uh, and guitarist in Project Smock, he kind of railroaded me 
and forced me into buying and investing recording equipment at the start of lockdown. And I couldn't thank him enough for that. Um, it was a great investment. And yeah, I've released uh, quite a bit of music of my own uh, solo stuff. Ali Levac, there you go, we plug. And I released my own EP. Um, when the heck did I release it? September. So that was a lockdown EP. And yeah, a few other things. What else? I think everything I've kind of done over lockdown has been music related, which I'm very grateful for. I've kind of not had to abandon the music and take something else on completely different, which some people have. And it's, it's not fair really that some have to do that and some don't. But, so I'm very grateful and I don't take it for granted that I can keep it music related just now. Um, what has been happening? I, I formed a new duo, a new project with a good friend of mine, Craig Irving, who used to play guitar with Manran and Talisk. So we have a new duo called Glynn, which we have a few releases for already. So you can go and check that out if you'd like. And with Project Smock, we released an EP a couple of weeks ago, actually, which we recorded down at Grand's House Studio um, when restrictions were a little bit lighter. And that is out now. You can get that via our website or on Bandcamp and stuff. Um, but yeah, a few other things. I've got a few tune books in the pipeline, which I'm working on at the moment. And I a teaching position also at Alness Academy, which I cannot wait to start. That begins in August uh, this year. So, but yeah, I think I'm just very lucky, I think, um, unfortunate with family stuff and I kind of landed on my feet. I know lockdown has been hard on the most part for most folk. So I am very grateful and don't take it for granted how lucky I am and in being given this time to reflect um, and record new music. Um, I kind of look at myself as a person and a musician. I think I've managed to change the way I am perceived in the music world. I think before lockdown I was a wee bit of a riot, I'm not going to lie, if I'm just to be totally honest, I was just living from gig to gig and not recording anything, not investing in recording equipment or music equipment. So lockdown has really forced my hand to kind of grow up fast, I suppose, and get my act together, which I'm very grateful for. But that's about the gist of it, really. Just keeping the head down and keeping on trucking. But it's been lovely speaking to you today. Um, I love the sound of my own voice anyway, so it's been an absolute pleasure hearing me speak. I've loved it. I hope you've loved it as much as I've loved it. And I hope to speak to you again very soon uh, and to see you hopefully in person at a gig or something down the line, maybe. But I'll leave you now. I'll leave you and hope you're all well and safe. This conclusion has been going on for quite a while, so I'm just going to say goodbye now. So. <laughs>
Goodbye. Thank you, Ali. I think he's maybe a bit of an identity crisis. Does he know where he's from? <laughs> um, okay, that's uh, that was great. And uh, we're now going to move on to the day in the life of Canaris. Canaris Quintet is one of the most exciting bands to hit the Scottish music scene in the past five years. Combining three fiddles, one mandolin, one guitar and a whole lot of energy, their music is uplifting, fresh, honest and powerful. The band have spent the past year in their separate homes in Glasgow, getting together only when regulations allow. This has been quite tough as they are working on a new album right now. We wanted to know what it was like for them, how they managed to make music under those conditions. You'll hear from Laura Beth Salter, Aileen Reid, Fiona McCaskill, Jen Butterworth and Laura Wilkie as they allow us to eavesdrop on their daily lives. Hi there folks, Laura Beth Salter here. I'm coming at you live from our front room in Glasgow. Hi, my name's Jen Butterworth and I'm the guitar player in Canaris Quintet. So I'm Aileen Reid and I play the five string fiddle in Canaris Quintet. Hi, Fiona here. Morning everybody. Um, I'm Laura Wilkie and I play the fiddle in Canaris Quintet. We're a, we're a five-piece band from Glasgow um, and we've been trying to write new music from our separate homes during lockdown for the last year. Um, we've had a couple of online gigs which has been great because not many people have had any gigs at all so we've been so grateful for that. Um, some of the gigs that we've done we've only performed them as a three-piece or a four-piece band um, due to various reasons. Um, like maybe the, the space just hasn't been big enough to have the whole band with the crew that are recording, um, shielding, isolating. Uh, one of the gigs, Fiona was literally giving birth to her wee baby, Jessie. Uh, so she was allowed out of that one. <laughs> um, trying to figure out the whole parenting thing. So um, at the moment I'm just um, trying to find bits of time in between changing nappies, feeding, sleeping to, to work on, on the music with Canaris um, and a few other things as well. So um, yeah, I mean, that's mostly what I'm doing at the moment. I love spending time with Jessie and um, being a mum to her. And But now I am trying to get a, a bit of a better balance of doing that and trying to do a wee bit more music. I took a wee bit of time out when she was born, um, but as the situation was anyway, there wasn't really an awful lot of um, music going on, so I didn't really feel like I missed out on anything. But now I'm trying to learn about the home recording equipment and figure out this kind of working from home um, stuff, which I'm not very good at, but I'm getting there. My partner, Ali Hutton, he, who's also a musician, he has a recording set up upstairs. So he is um, very good at using all that. So I am just in the process of learning, um, which has been great. And the wee bits of time that I'm getting, um, myself and Ali kind of figure it out between us, give each other time to work on our music, um, is spent trying to figure out how to use the equipment and then trying to kind of come up with ideas um, for new material with the girls, which has is, is been great.
of kind of typical day for me, just now during lockdown. It's quite an early rise, usually about six or so in the morning. Get um, school uniform sorted, pack lunches sorted, get down to my sister's for about seven um, so that she can get to work and I look after her, her wee ones. So I usually have six wee ones, um, get them sorted, usually me shouting, have you brushed your teeth yet? Got your uniform on yet? Got your school bag? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then, so do the nursery run, school run, look after the wee ones during the day. And then, it's a, couple, a quick trip to the post office usually um, to send out some merch orders for the band. Um, and then, nursery run, school run again, get the wee ones sorted for dinner, bath, bed, all that. And then, once they're in bed, I will usually, that'll be me starting my job as the sort of doing the, man, the management of the band, so answering emails and all that stuff and getting my head into writing some music or learning some music from the band, recording some stuff. And a typical day for me at the moment is spending quite a lot of time learning about technology. Um, so much of the stuff that I do now is, is online and digital, so using my camera and editing videos, um, being a bit of a technology geek. <laughs> Um, I think for the band we've been obviously learning about how to record ourselves at home and um, I've spent a lot of time trying to get a sort of a better quality sound for my guitar which has been a little bit of a challenge but I think I think I'm getting there slowly. Luckily um, I, I live with uh, my partner who is happens to be the live sound engineer for uh, Canaris Quintet so he's answered a lot of my annoying questions and lent me a bit of equipment and stuff as well to get started. So yeah, so I've been recording, um, I've been doing bits on, on people's albums which has been quite nice considering that we live quite far away from each other. Um, I've also been doing some online teaching on Zoom which I think quite a few people have been doing, spending quite a lot of time <laughs> looking at a screen. And what note's that? Oh yeah. Well, can you tell, is there, is it an F sharp or is it an F natural? Can you see a sharp sign? Anywhere? F natural. F natural, well done. So what, fin no. what finger do you, what finger position do you need to play an F natural? Is it regular two or is it a low two? Low two. So what you just heard there was a little snippet of, um, uh, a bit of Zoom teaching, which I've been doing a little bit of, and I, um, there are challenges, but it's been really nice because I can teach people from any place. Laura Bess here, and I'm taking you out on my morning walk. So each day for me, um, each day of the week, is actually pretty different, um, and I'm, I, I feel quite fortunate for that because we haven't left Glasgow um, for quite a long time. I'm sure lots of you understand that feeling. Um, but Mondays anyway, usually I get up about seven, half seven, um, grab a cup of tea and then go for a walk around the park, sometimes on my own and sometimes with my husband, Callum. Um, we live really close to Kelvin Grove Park, so I've been getting to know the birds and um, the trees a lot better than I ever did before. And now we've got um, all the daffodils coming up, so it's looking really beautiful here. Um, you can maybe hear some of the blue tits in the background there and, um, and the river, uh, Kelvin. Away. Um, I'm just back from my morning run. I usually go and run by the River Clyde um, a little bit every day. 
Um, today was a little bit different. I had to go to the Riverside Museum for a COVID test because I have a, I have a cough at the moment, as you probably will hear in this <laughs> recording because it's, it's quite persistent. Um, so yeah, so I've just I'm just back from my little bit of outdoor quiet workout time slash COVID test. So hopefully that'll be negative, but I'm feeling okay apart from my cough. Anyway, um, yeah, I've been over a lockdown over the last kind of year. Um, I have really enjoyed um, running a little bit every day. Um, just usually I, I go the same kind of route. Getting my head into writing some music or learning some music from the band, recording some stuff. Um, so that usually starts about 10, 11 at night. Um, I've got a wee studio that I've managed, or a wee room in my, in my house that I've managed to make in a bit of a studio. Um, and yeah, that'll be me till kind of about two in the morning. I've been trying a bit of writing, although I would say it's a little bit difficult to do that at the moment, um, just because we've been in lockdown for so long, and I think you need to have some kind of positive energy around you to do that. So I get little pockets of writing going though. Um, and also, I, I just try and get outside once a day. After this walk, I'll go home and grab a bit of breakfast and then set up my station. We like to call our working points in the flat stations because uh, we don't have offices, so one's in the kitchen and one's in the front room and that's where we work for the rest of the week pretty much unless we're in our wardrobe, which is our new recording studio um, from clothes storage facility. It turns out that clothes make quite a good job of uh, deadening uh, sound, so yeah. Uh, I'll do a couple of hours teaching for lunch. I'm just uh, finishing my cup of tea and then I will log on to a Zoom meeting called Practice Club. Um, it's basically just a Zoom meeting where a bunch of musicians um, sign on at like nine o'clock in the morning, Monday to Friday. And then we all just meet ourselves um, and practice for two hours and it doesn't really matter what you're practicing or even if you don't have a gig to practice for um, it's, you just kind of work on work away on whatever whatever you want to individually um, but um, I've been doing it since February and um, I find it really really beneficial for just like I don't know feeling like connected to my instrument um, I'm sure like most musicians like you kind of feel I don't know a bit disconnected or a bit like playing your instrument can make you feel things that you don't really maybe want to feel or face up to things that you don't really want to face up to and it, yeah it's a, it's a great the great revelator actually I find my, my fiddle um, but if I just kind of even if I can't stay for the whole time if I've got to do something else um, playing and practicing and being a little bit focused every day has been really great for my mental health. Um, so if anyone out there wants to join in with our with the practice club, it's open to anyone. And um, yeah, just send send us a message, and we'll send you the Zoom link. Recently, we've been able to do a wee bit more together, so that's been a big help. And then this afternoon, I'm going to be working on some Canaris stuff. So because I've been um, shielding I've not been able to go to our rehearsals in real life so I've been sitting there on zoom uh, while the girls work on stuff um, and luckily for me we've got Jen who is a dab hand at all things tech 
technological. She's set it up so that everybody can record what they're doing on Logic. And then I go into our home recording studio wardrobe booth. Um, and this afternoon I'm going to layer up some of the ideas that I've had um, so that they can hear what I'm intending on doing when we get back together and record the next album. Most of my day is spent being a mum, which is amazing. Also involves a wee bit of music where I try and sing with Jessie. And also she's a really good audience member, so sometimes I get the fiddle out and um, no matter how good or bad I am, she seems to enjoy it. out a lot of eating and drinking tea uh, but I figured you'd presume that I do that. And sometimes it absolutely stinks <laughs> but um, yeah I, I really am grateful for it. talking about two in the morning and then I'll get a quick sleep and then all starts again early bells the next day Thanks so much to Canaris for sharing their um, rehearsal and their day in the life with us. I want to point out that I edited that, uh, so hope it's okay for everyone. Now we're very excited to uh, chat to Mike Vass, one of our absolute favourite musicians. Mike Vass is one of the most creative forces on the Scottish music scene. As one of our liveliest tradition bearers, composers, producers and arrangers, it was no surprise when the University of Edinburgh chose him as trad artist in residence at the School of Scottish Studies. Part of his remit is to explore the archives and create new work, and we're delighted that he'll be doing just that for our closing concert. 
We'll hear more about that later, but we'd also like to say he's one of our favourite musicians. His fiddle and guitar playing are in a class all of their own and his compositions inspire awe and rapture in equal measure. <laughs> Hi, Mike. Do you recognise that person? Oh, is that me? <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah, you're welcome. So where are you right now? I am in Nairn at my parents' house. I've been here since Boxing Day, since this um, current round of lockdown. Uh, so that's three, just over three months now. But it's not all bad because there's a really good beach here in Nairn and I get out for a, a daily stroll on the beach, no matter the weather. We've had snow this morning, actually. It's winter again. bit crazy, isn't it? Are there other musicians local that you can vaguely meet up with outdoors or anything? Or? Um, <clears throat> I think, no, most people are Inverness way and that's maybe okay. a bar at the moment. Um, bit out of your area, yeah. There are a few musicians locally, but I don't. I think because I've been out of Nairn so long, I don't. Um, I don't know them so well. Mm -hmm. So, are you in the bedroom with, that you grew up in? I'm in uh, one of the bedrooms. Uh, I think my sister was in this bedroom originally. It's the one fur furthest down the corridor, so it's the one where I can get the most peace. <laughs> We're about to ask you if that was your collection of Barbies. <laughs> <laughs> There are a few uh, for the record, the <laughs> <laughs> we can't see any Barbies. <clears throat> so, so what? What point did you start playing music? Um, I was seven, seven or eight um, when I started at school. Actually, at the primary school, Rosebank here, which is just a five-minute walk away. Um, I started with Colin Warrender, who was the strings instructor for this area. And he he was actually a classical viola player himself, but he had a keen interest in the, the traditional music as well. So all of us that were learning at school got a little bit of classical and a good chunk of uh, traditional tunes as well, which was a good uh, access point. Yeah. What was the first instrument then? Was it fiddle? Fiddle, yeah. Um, and that was it for a long time. I didn't take up the guitar until I was 20, which is almost half a life ago now long time but I still yeah. I still feel like I've got a, a I've got a lot to learn there but yeah the, the fiddle I grew up playing that so it's always been felt quite natural and then I think when I was 20 I was re really really into practicing the fiddle but just felt like I needed uh, a different outlet and to figure out some chords and things for myself and you have a twin sister she played as well or Yes, yeah, she is. She's a great piano player and cellist, actually. Mm -hmm. um, but she's got four young kids now, so she's got less time than I do for keeping up the the playing. Um, but I'm sure she'll get back to it once they're all in school. Yeah. Did you always play together? Because I know that you're kind of first foray into kind of professional musicianship, if you like, was in a duo with her, wasn't it, with Ali? Yeah, that's right. Um, we tried that for a couple of years and we, yeah, we toured quite a lot, mostly just in the UK, but um, we did the kind of UK festival circuit for a couple of years. Um, we were working with um, a great agent, Frank Beckhofer, who's no longer with us. Mm -hmm. but Frank was um, yep. very important in the in the Edinburgh Folk Club and the founding of that place and keeping it running for decades and uh, that's where we first met and we were doing a support slot there for Emily Smith back in 
2004 or something and met Frank and started working with him then. But then my, yeah, my sister uh, decided to, to try other things and that's when I ported to the solo stuff, I suppose, as well as playing with lots of different bands and things. But I suppose that's when I started yeah, focusing on, on the writing and, and whatnot. So what people that you maybe came across in Edinburgh or even beyond at that time would you say were influences on you? Um, oh, there's loads. That's such a tricky question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I suppose when I was 19 uh, and 20, I, I started going to a lot of sessions in Edinburgh. So I would be at uh, Sandy Bells and the Antiquary and the Royal Oak. And yeah. sometimes that would be four or five nights a week. So I, I kind of met a lot of people who were on the the scene at that point um people like Anna Wendy Stevenson who I just I loved her mm-hmm. fiddle playing tried to get a lesson from Anna Wendy but she was too busy with Fine Friday at the time <laughs> and then she moved up to to Uist, so that never happened but um yeah I met Anna Wendy and Nula Kennedy and Chris Trever who were all very busy you know they'd they'd been really important in the in the session scene kind of helping that thrive and then it was almost like they got uh, busy with their gigging and, and weren't around as much um, but I came across people like Steve Byrne who's a colleague and, and friend mm-hmm. in, in Malinke and um, yeah there were there were loads of people back then Sandy Brechen I used to play with the sensational Jimmy Shandrix experience now and again uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> what a man yeah. um, one of the best covers of an album ever I think <laughs> yes um <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's going back. Setting fire to his accordion. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there were there were loads of influences back then. Uh, yeah, uh, Ailey Shaw. I, I first met Ailey back in the Royal Oak uh-huh. back in two thousand and five or something, and I loved Ailey's album that she made with Ian Carr. Um, uh, and there's lo- loads of stories like that of people who were, you know, at the sessions regularly, but touring and making amazing new recorded work so that was really inspiring for me as a yeah. late late teen early 20 something okay and you joined Malinke in 2008 that right what was the yeah. lineup then yeah that's right so um yeah that was Steve Byrne and Mark Dunlop who were the two founding members remaining at that point and uh, Fiona Hunter lead vocals who'd been with the band three or four years at that stage and Dave Wood uh, who was based down in Newcastle at that time and he'd I think he'd joined the band about a year before me replacing Ewan McPherson so it was the Mm. five of us and were you aware of them before you were you aware of Malinke before you joined them and what they were doing yeah yeah definitely excuse me yeah I'd actually seen them play at the hub in Edinburgh uh, probably five years before that or six years when Kareen was still singing with them. And yeah, I was a big fan of what they were doing and loved the the first couple of records. So it was, yeah, it was, it was a thrill for me to be asked actually to, to join them. And they were, I think that was them at their busiest point as well. They'd hooked up with an agent out in the States, um, Wooden Ship Productions, and they were going out to the States and Canada two or three times a year. So I kind of just fell into this really, really busy band and it was a steep learning curve, but it was great because I, up until that point, I'd only been 
playing tunes in sessions really and and as you mentioned playing with my sister but the getting into the the scott song repertoire was a kind of whole new ball game for me and i think that really brought me on musically it's a different way of thinking about music um accompanying songs and i was just playing fiddle fiddle in the band no guitar so sort of finding a space but not trying to be a distraction and all that kind of stuff was yeah that was really good for my development at that time i think just um, thinking about how you know the, the university has been a bit of a dead zone over the last year very few students about no classes how's that affected the your kind of post as the musician in residence has that made a difference or yeah it's made a big difference it's been it's been tricky uh, i'm still actually not able to go physically into the archives so i'm relying a lot on topper and dulkish which is our uh, digitized catalog online which anyone can go and check yeah. out toprandulkish.com um or search kist of riches it's the scots um so i've kind of been dipping in there but it's only about a third of the stuff is actually digitized and available there so I'm kind of missing out on a lot of other things that i would normally have access to but we've kind of yeah we've just had to adapt like everybody else and i uh, i was involved in a big online festival um called the in light festival last august i think and we commissioned some new work for that um you know people using archive recordings and things to inspire new work so we had rachel newton and Vary hall both wrote new pieces of music for that and they both turned out absolutely brilliantly and then we had some international artists we had alistair fraser who's based over in california uh, recorded a set for us and Aoife Donovan, who's an amazing singer-songwriter, uh, who's been over to Scotland a lot. So yeah, I, th- I think we made a we made a success of that. It was it was a lot of work to kind of bring it all together, but we just wanted to do something celebrating the archives and and just kind of showing what um, what's current, what what people are doing creatively um, using the archives as a as a sort of jumping off point. But yeah, it's been tricky not being able to really really do anything in person or see anybody so it's actually it's the 70th anniversary of the founding of the school of scottish studies this year so once the restrictions are eased i'm hoping that i can do a bit more for them and we're hoping to get some concerts scheduled for probably the the following term after the summer yeah tell me a little bit about what you're going to be doing on the 10th of may because as i mentioned in the introduction you're going to be playing in the what we closing concert which is a live stream featuring your old pal from early Melinky, Kareem Polwart, who's going to be lecturing. But tell us a little bit about what you're doing because you're writing a new piece. Yeah, so um, I am writing, it's sort of, it's going to be 20 minutes of music and it's inspired by um, some photographs from our, from our photographic archive. Um, so I, I guess it will be kind of like a, a video with still images and the music's going to be a, a soundtrack to the to the images, and I'm sort of riffing on the idea of the elasticity of time. <laughs> um, I've kind of been uh, had a lot more time for reading and audiobooks this past year, so I've been reading a little bit of Carlo Rovelli, who tries to um, mm-hmm. explain quantum mechanics for the layperson, and I've read his 
couple of his books twice, and I still am none the wiser. <laughs> uh, but I find some of the some of the concepts are, are so interesting, um, and I just love that idea of the elasticity of time. I think when we're listening to music, um, depending on um, you know the mood of the piece, I think it's really difficult to judge how much time has passed. You know, you can be listening to a really kind of meditative piece. Mm-hmm for 20 minutes and it, it feels like longer maybe it feels like a, an hour's past or you can listen to something really kind of frenetic and energetic and um you, you can almost get a, f- a full flavor of something in a minute and a half say but i think it's really difficult when you're fully engaged and listening to a piece of music to it's almost it's almost like that you know they describe flow how if you're if you're fully engaged in the music it, time doesn't really matter so I'm kind of I'm trying to do quite a few short pieces but yeah. each with they're they're kind of inspired by the images but I want them all to be of maybe maybe not exactly the same length but very very similar lengths but different um moods so that each piece maybe feels like it's longer or shorter than it actually is that's the aim I don't know if whether I'll be successful yeah. or not I don't know but we'll see cool. <laughs> So you're saying 20 minutes, but it might be 30 seconds or three days. Yeah, exactly. But hopefully, <laughs> hopefully nobody will uh, have a timer on. <laughs> yeah. Good one, Douglas. So in general, do you think that, um, you know, the last year lockdown and being stuck at home and not having gigs and everything, do you think that it, it fired your creativity or stifled it? It sounds like it fired it. I mean, you've been reading books and doing other stuff, but. What do you think? Um, I think it's hard to know now uh, if it is fired or stifled. I, I I definitely feel like it stifled it in a lot of ways. I've kind of tried to keep going with things. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it probably I've, becomes uh, less collaborative. You're probably getting less back from other people. Yeah, absolutely. It becomes quite a solitary um, kind of occupation. Of- yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. So I, I did. I made a wee EP back in April, May last year, and it was just me playing all the instruments, and that's fine. I did something like that about ten years ago, a project called December. Well, it was sort of writing in the middle of winter when I couldn't travel because of being snowed in. Um, but this time around, it was kind of been not snowed in, but locked, locked down. Um, yeah. And it's fine. I, yeah. I quite I do quite enjoy that process, but you do miss out a lot on hearing other people bring your pieces of music to life, having other players get their hands on it. And I think that's what I've really been missing. And even just sitting and playing a tune with somebody. So I feel it has been a stifling mostly. I've tried to kind of keep going and keep writing bits and pieces, but also trying to not put too much pressure on and not judge myself too harshly yeah. if I've not done anything for a few weeks. Um, yeah, I think it's been difficult, and who who knows what will happen once we're all free to roam again. But I've I've definitely got quite a few plans to be back in the studio with other musicians, and I just can't wait for that. Really, I think also what's missing is the audience. You know, I I watched a bit of your live stream house concert, which you. <laughs> It was great. I bet you, you were having to, you were doing everything yourself, of course. Then, but I think a lot of people don't realise how important it is to get feedback from the audience. Did you, did you feel that when you were actually kind of playing to a camera like that on your own? 
yeah, it's 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 quite awkward to begin with. You do sort of get used to it. It's, I guess it's practicing like anything else, but just playing to the screen and then having no interaction. It's yeah, it's very odd. It's very unnatural. And actually, being back in front of even a, a small audience would be an absolute delight. But uh, yeah, I remember when when we were working on that in light thing for the university last year. I had Nick Garris, who's an amazing uh, step dancer. He recorded a piece of work for us. Yeah, Yeah. and we'd done a little bit of work together because he actually had a residency at the university the year before at Dance Base. Um, So we'd kind of, we'd filmed a few things together, just two of us in the room playing and just having that interaction. And then he sent over his piece, uh, his video for the festival, and it it was brilliant, but it just really made me think how much you miss from not being in the space with a person, that sort of three dimensions um, yeah. So it kind of lifts. It, it must it affects our brain chemistry, you know. But just seeing it on on a screen is mm-hmm. is great as well. But it, yeah, it really hit home how much I was missing being in a room with people. And I was sort of stuck in a flat on my own in Glasgow yeah. for the first few months. So pretty odd. <laughs> when uh, when Nick Nick's sort of performed here at the house a, a couple two or three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, one time with Bruce Molsky and I can't remember who else he, he got up. Maybe. But he actually, there's a there's an area of our floor upstairs which is sanded by Nick Grice. He said, said, do you have a board or something? We said, no, the floor's pretty good. So he then threw sand down to do this sort of routine. <laughs> so there's an area without varnish upstairs. But it, was, it was well worth it, he well did, worth it. He did say that whenever, whenever we get a venue, he'll come back and sand the entire floor. Yeah. By dancing. <laughs> so we'll have to hold him to that. Definitely, yeah. Uh, it's been really lovely to catch up, and I think we're going to finish off uh, with a wee listen to um, a tune that you recorded not that long ago, actually, and brought out, um, and it's it's called Threes. Can you tell us a wee bit about Threes? Yeah, so this was something that I managed to do this, this time round in the lockdown. The one thing I've managed to do, I think, um, yeah, I, I mentioned earlier I'm at my parents' house. I've been locked down here since Boxing Day, and it's not as the rooms are quite small. That you can't, re- I can't really record acoustic instruments here. It just so it doesn't sound good. Um, uh-huh. So, but I have I've been quite into experimenting with wee electronic elements in my music for a good few years. So I decided to kind of go almost the whole hog and just uh, record these using a couple of. Uh, analog synthesizers I've got here so I don't have to worry about the poor acoustic quality of the room um, and then I got Ali Lovac who's an amazing young musician and composer from Strathpeffer um, to to record whistle parts and I first worked with Ali back in 2019 I produced um, his band Project Smock their debut album a couple of years back which was really great fun and um, Ali won the BBC Young Traditional Musician of the Year last year, 2020. Um, yeah, so I just asked him if he could. He's got an, a nice wee setup up, up at home where he is, so he recorded his parts remotely and sent them over to me. And there we have it. That's the new tune. Great. Mm-hmm. Look forward to listening to that. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you soon, we hope. Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. Thanks for nice having me. You. Cheers, Mike. See you soon. Yeah, bye.
thank you very much, Mike. So that was Threes, which featured uh, our pal Ali Levac, who's all over this podcast. <laughs> it's available on Bandcamp. And we're going to move on now to listen to Guy Nicholson from Moishas. 30 years ago, wandering about Glasgow and exploring, I came across an Asian version of Mr Ben's shop, which had a sign outside advertising classical Indian music cassettes, and I went inside to have a look. At this point in time, I was playing congas, I was getting more into playing music, and had been in a couple of studios to record some hip-hop with people like Rab King and a band called Sugar Bullet. The cassette tapes were at the back of the store, which was in a basement, so there was no daylight to be seen. There was carpets, reams of material, racks of unidentifiable objects, including a set of tablet drums, sitting on round pillows with quilted covers on tops. I had it going playing at them, and I liked the sound, so I bought them and a couple of the cassette tapes, and I made my way back to the bus station for the journey home to Edinburgh. My mum worked in Leith at the time, and was friendly with Mr Singh, one of the community leaders. He said I should bring my drums down to the temple in Mill Lane, because they'd just invited a tabla teacher over from the Punjab to stay, and he could show me how to play them. So I did. I went down to Leith to meet Mr Rutan Singh, a 70-year-old, very tall, bearded man who started me on my journey of learning tablas. Introductions were made, I was looked over, and Mr Singh agreed to teach me, only if I would practice and be on time. So every week I would visit Mr Singh and learn the finger positions. I didn't speak Punjabi and he didn't speak English. That didn't matter. It was how to get the sounds from the tabla. Like na, teen, tun, tut, ti, te, de, ne, ge, ki, and cut. Practice every day. Practice every day. The first time I really felt like I was playing the tabla was when I got my head round a rhythm called Kaherwa, which is da ge na tin na ka din. So I was feeling good about playing and started to use the tabla drums for gigs and sessions. Edinburgh is a wonderful place for music and back in the day Café Graffiti and other venues during the Edinburgh Festival had people all over the world performing. I got to meet loads of musicians and join different bands along the way. Recording with Hunhur 2 at Jack's 48k studios during the festival was a session where I first met Mr Dave Kay. I also met Mario in another band and that brings us how I joined Moishe's Bagel. Mario recommended me to Greg, Phil and Pete during a tango rehearsal. Then Phil called me and arranged for us all to meet at Henry Cellar Bar at Toe Cross. The sign outside, written in chalk, said, Tonight, Moishe's Bagel. No rehearsal, and I have no idea what the tunes are going to be. It was our first gig, and we had a great time. Well, that was the beginnings of Moishe's Bagel and how I joined this wonderful group of people. From a basement shop in Glasgow to a temple in Leith and a cellar in Toe Cross. That's it for today. Thanks to all our guests, Elizabeth Russo, Ali Levac, Canaris Quintet, Mike Vass and Guy Nicholson. Don't forget that Mike Vass will be appearing at Rebellious Truth, our live streamed closing concert on Monday the 10th of May, where he'll be performing with Myra Green. We hope you'll join us tomorrow for the next Tradfest podcast. 
We're going to speak to Mike Vass's bandmates in Malinky, Mark Dunlop and Fiona Hunter. And the Moishes Fable tomorrow will be from Greg Lawson, um, who you also may remember as the leader and conductor of the Gret Orchestra, where Fiona Hunter sang Blackbird, among other things, so beautifully. So, yeah, we've got a good show for you, so please tune in. Edinburgh Trap Fest podcast is produced and presented by Douglas Robertson and Jane Ann Purdy, with the help of our hugely capable engineer, Dave Kay. The theme tune, Silence of the Trams, is by Angus R. Grant, performed and arranged by Sugal Nifty. Information on all our guests and the music played is listed on our website, edinburghtradfest.com. Huge thanks to our funders, Creative Scotland and... The William Grant Foundation, makers of Glenfiddich and other wonderful things. Please rate, review and subscribe to Edinburgh Tradfest podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Apparently that helps other people find it. Thanks very much.